my calling is to push the boundaries between what's sacred and what's yeah. secular. It's probably offensive to say it this way, but I, I almost feel like all things are sacred. You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is season two, episode two. I'm sitting here with one of my closest friends, John Mark McMillan, in his hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, we're sitting in not just coffee, catching up. And so we're gonna invite you guys into the conversation we don't have a script. We might talk about music. We might talk about theology. We might talk about good coffee. I don't know. But um, either way, this is a conversation we talked about for almost two years now. <laughs> it took us that long to actually sit down and do it. Um, 2015, we were sitting in a hotel. Or no, we were on the train. Yeah, yeah. Uh, going through the, the subway uh-huh. in Paris. Yeah. And we were saying, Man, I want to start this podcast. You know, I'm gonna do this podcast called Makers and Mystics, yep. and, uh, and and I was mad because that name is so good. <laughs> I was like, I want to name my podcast Makers and Mystics now. <laughs> but a year, whatever, year and a half later, yep. finally made something happen. I know it. Before we dive into the conversation, I wanted to mention the Breath and the Clay Creative Arts Conference is coming up March 17 through 19 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. If you haven't registered for that, tickets are still available at thebreathandtheclay.com. And also, I wanted to thank everyone for the kind words you've given me about how this podcast has impacted you. And if you haven't left us a review on iTunes, please do that today and subscribe to us at Makers and Mystics on iTunes. This is All Things Sacred, a conversation with John Mark McMillan. We were talking before, and you had this idea, or you mentioned breaking down the wall between the sacred and the secular. What does that mean for you as far as the music and the art that you're making? I I think for me, I I don't think there is a, a line between sacred and secular. I think in you know, in Christ, all things are new, yeah. right? And I don't think that just means that like I'm becoming this different person. I think it's a new way of seeing the entire world. Mm. It's a new way of seeing things. And I think that um, at that point there is, all things become sacred because yeah. everything is hopefully, you're trying to see everything through the lens, Yeah, you know, of the Jesus way, Yeah, you know, and, and so, I, I, that's why I don't see a line between sacred and secular. I don't think that line exists. Yeah. You know, and so um, it's probably offensive to say it this way, but I, I almost feel like all things are sacred. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. all things are sacred. All things were created by Him, yeah. through Him, for Him. Yeah. Right? Um, and the ultimate purpose of all things is to be what they are created to be. Yeah. You know, uh, we talked about that earlier with uh, the, t- what, Thomas, Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton, yeah. yeah. The new seeds of contemplation. Yeah. And what is it he says about a tree? He says a tree gives glory to God by being a tree. Because <laughs> Exactly. And so the yeah. tree's sacred, you know, um, mandate is to yeah. be a tree. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. And it's beautiful. And I, I feel like people could, um, if, if people could, could take that, mm-hmm. you know, into their identity conversation yeah. that they have with themselves, their daily identity conversation, realize that your sacred mandate is to be you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In that. Your sacred mandate is to conform when it talks about conforming to the image of Jesus it's not saying um, it means conform to the way he thinks yeah not conform to the way he looks right you know yeah and so he came to show us how to be ourselves Mm -hmm. yeah is what I believe yeah he didn't just come to the reason he became a man or a person was to show us you know what people are supposed to be like yeah otherwise he wouldn't have had to become a person so I think that Jesus came to show us how to be ourselves. Yeah. Jesus came to show us who we are. Yeah. So, you know, the spiritual transformation is becoming ourselves. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's good. It's not becoming something else. It's becoming who we were meant to be. Yeah. It's a tree becoming a tree. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, you know, when I'm more in tune, when I feel more like myself, I feel like I'm more glorifying God than when I'm... Yep quote, trying to, and um, maybe it's an effortless grace. And on the badlands as a child, where the dust devils dance on the dreams of the ivy wild, in places you grow up, the tumbling ground is rough, and there is no domestic heart. So what have we become? This pedestrian. There is no domestic home. No will to love is hidden within us. Many artists in the Christian community have this idea that for our art or our music to have value, it has to serve some greater purpose like evangelizing or leading others in worship or it has to be treated almost like a means to an end, you know? Yep. I think that when when art becomes a means to an end, it, it automatically devalues both the art and the end. Yeah. In my personal opinion. Yeah. It's sort of like, um, I, got a, I got a line in one of my songs that says, uh, who are we sometimes, I wonder, mercenaries or lovers? Mm-hmm. You know? And it kind of comes from this idea of, uh, am I writing music? You know, for the end, am I, am I, um, are my relationships a means to an end? You know, or are they the end? Yeah. Like, are they what I want? You know, and so for me, it's like when the art becomes a means to an end, Hmm. it devalues both the means and the end. Yeah. To me. Yeah. You know, and I, and part of it's just because of my personality, I've realized that, um, and it is a subjective thing, mm-hmm. you know, but authenticity is sort of my highest value. Yeah. And authenticity, being honest with yourself, yeah. I think is insanely important. Yeah. Being honest with God is insanely yeah. important, you know. Uh, I think it, that's the example that yeah. we have in the scriptures. Totally. It is. Well. It is. You know, how can you, how can your spiritual formation how can you be formed spiritually if you don't offer what you have? Yeah. You know? Yeah. If you only offer 
yeah. something that's not real, something that's not there. Yeah. One thing I'm always curious about is because as an artist, we we become our own product in a sense. I know that yeah. sounds very no, no. Uh, um, like who was it? It was a, a rapper um, from several years ago, a super famous rapper, but I don't I don't remember who he is. Um, but he tattooed a barcode on his wrist and before he ever got famous. Yeah, yeah. And he said, because I know one day I'm gonna be merchandise. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, and that was his yeah. deal. And I'm not I'm not taking it to that extremity. No, sure. But my question in that is as an artist who values authenticity and also as someone who, you know, your art is your livelihood and, and your your music and who you are is a brand. Yeah, yeah. How how do you navigate that relationship between authenticity and being your own brand, you know? Totally. I think it's it's tough and I, 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 I believe that you can be authentic and have a brand. Mm -hmm. um, in one sense, you have to have a brand because you're going to have a brand. It, when early on, I refused to do photos, not because I was trying to be cool. I was like, I was like this isn't about me, it's about music. It's about the conversation we're having. Like it's, it's like so. Why do they? Why do they need a picture of me? <laughs> you know. And then it didn't take it didn't take long to realize that they're gonna get a picture of you, and they're gonna use it. Right. And it's probably not gonna be a picture you like. Right. So, in order to fight fire with fire, I I started I hired my own photographers and took pictures that I thought were too awesome. Yeah. But I think that once you realize that you people are going to see you in a light, it's better for you to decide what light it's going to be. Right. And to me, it's not about building a brand to try and sell something that you're not. Yeah. It's about building a brand that that um, is able to help people understand who you are. That's yeah. good. in dealing with the whole sacred versus secular idea that's always just honestly been a thorn in my side is there's been a, a, a grievous misunderstanding of performance because I and I get it but it's kind of a baby in the bathwater situation yeah. that that if you say well don't perform or performance is bad or if it's performance it's not worship yeah. I think that that destroys one of the very mediums that yeah, the Lord yeah. wants to come to us through totally. in worship. And so I know that you are a performer. Totally. And I know that at the heart of what you do is worship. Uh, and it's not been a stumbling block to me encountering the heart behind why you do what you do. But I want to help liberate totally. our, our generation of artists and musicians yeah. from that, that thing that says don't perform. Yeah, yeah. What, what would you say to that? So, yeah, there's a lot I can say about that. Number one is like... Everything is a performance, right? Um, you know, perform means to do, and but I, I think the real um, the real issue that people have, and this gets fuzzy, but it's about posture, right? And it's about acceptance. 
you know? Yeah. So I think what well-meaning people push back against is this idea that you're not accepted if you don't perform. Mm, right. You know? If you don't perform, you're not accepted. But I think what they lose, though, when they when, when people talk against performance, is what they lose is that performing is good and performing is fun and performing is an overflow of being yes. accepted. Yes. And so if you remove so not, all if you remove all idea of performance then you also in some cases you remove the ability to enjoy your acceptance. You yeah. remove the ability to to revel in things like joy, you know yeah. what I mean? And and the truth is like it's all a performance. Every message is a performance. Every Every worship leader is performing. Uh, so yeah, it is. It is performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I think it's more of the real issue is what, where the performance comes from. Do you perform out of a need for affirmation, right? Or do you perform from a, a place of acceptance? That's so good. Do you perform? So it's not really whether or not you perform. It's it's are you performing from something or are you performing? Yeah. Come on, that's that's, that's the, really what that's really yeah. the question, right? Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, so really, it's change your posture. Yeah, and the beauty is when you change your posture, the performance takes on a whole new nature. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, and it becomes authentic. It does exactly. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder Mercenaries or lovers On this side of the thunder It can be awful hard to know Sell our love for the paycheck Or spend the night on the freight deck For all the dues that we collect our hearts can be overdrawn. The question I wanted to ask you is um, your lyrics, uh-huh. hands down, are my favorite lyrics of any um, artist of faith that I listen oh, to man. or have encountered. You know, that, that means a lot because you're pretty good at words yourself. You know? Well, I mess with them, but <laughs> the thing that I appreciate about your lyrics is that you've managed to find a way of bringing new metaphors into the conversation without disenfranchising Uh the audience that understands a very uh, strict family of metaphors, honestly. For for Christians, uh, we have the Bible, and so we have lions and lambs and and, and angels and doves and uh, talking fires and these very familiar things that are beautiful metaphors when you take them back to the root and you yeah, forget yeah. that we're so familiar they've lost their meaning to us yeah when you get back to the root of those things they're they're still very beautiful but through cult years hundreds of years of cultural conditioning uh-huh. those metaphors lose their power in a sense to yeah. to impact people outside of what we believe but yeah. you have managed to use new metaphors yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I want more people to take your example yeah <laughs> you know if I had a yeah yeah well I I read somewhere, uh, someone said a metaphor is really just the way you take an abstract, you know, concept or thing 
and you present people with a, something familiar mm -hmm. so that they can have a context for the abstract. That's why I love metaphor so much. And I'm with you, a lot of the Christian metaphor loses a lot of its weight because, um, for several reasons. First, first of all, because we live in a different world. And so we lose, it's like we almost, we need these new metaphors because, you know, I didn't grow up kings and kingdoms. Right. So number one is we need new metaphors because we've lost context. So, the, so one is they're not familiar. Number two is that they've become over-familiar. So one, one sense they're not familiar, and the other sense they're over-familiar. Yeah. We've heard them so much they lose their power. So right. we need to bring, in order to bring power back to the conversation, we need new metaphors. Yeah. Stephen King talks about write the first draft with the door closed write your second draft with the door open. Mm. Meaning you write the first draft not thinking about anybody else. Yeah. You subconsciously are thinking about other people. Yeah. But the second draft, you're consciously thinking about the way other people are going to see what you do. You know? So I'm constantly looking for those metaphors yeah. that I enjoy. And then the second thing is I'm, I'm trying to think, how is this metaphor going to play out to someone else? Yeah. For so many artists that I connect with, one of their primary concerns is to be able to do their art as a vocation or as a job or as a you know their livelihood. For so many musicians, it's like the only way to really make it, so to speak, is to um, to get it a hit song or for the worship leader a song that everybody's singing around the world. Um, but I really love uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. I mentioned her in a conversation earlier. She's a lady that wrote Eat, Pray, Love, and she talked about how the unexpected smashing success of that book just put her yeah, yeah. into a whole different realm, but on the other side of actually attaining what so many artists are after. She didn't know um, where to go from there. It's uh -huh. like she felt this pressure to top what she's done, and I think that could be really crippling for artists, and, and I know I've, you and I have been friends for years, so I've gotten I've had the honor of walking along beside you through many different seasons and I remember the How He Loves season yeah, yeah, where yeah. it was like the church just grabbed that, yeah, everybody yeah. wanted to do their version of it, but I know that even for you uh, there was a bit of redefining yourself as an artist so yeah, you yeah. don't have to live in the shadow of your last work. What would you say to artists um, who were trying to walk in the authenticity that you value? What would you say to them, either on the front side of that, uh, aspiring towards something, or who have actually had a song and now they're redefining themselves? Yeah. I, well, I think it's that's a very interesting, it's, it's really interesting uh, scenario. Um, the thing with that song was, by the time it became such a big hit, I was, um, you know, there's a life to songs. Yeah. Like as far as the interest of the, you know, writer and 
once you write it and put it out there, it kind of doesn't belong to you anymore. And over time, it belongs less and less to you. And so I, I love that song. I think it's a great song. Uh, when I hear it, that song for me exists in 2002. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. And so I, in appreciation, I still play the song. And I don't dislike playing the song. I still play it some. I was, you know, there are certain people who really want to hear that song. So I'll play it for them because I love them. And I, I don't hate the song, but by the time that song blew up, I was, for lack of a better term, I was kind of over that song. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd kind of moved on. You know, so there was a lot of, when I got into the industry, there's a lot of people like, oh, you're going to write another one? You're going to write another one? And I was like, well, I never said that I wanted to write another one. Yeah. It's really interesting to me how they equated your best work with your best performing work. You know, and I was like, well, that song financially performed really well. And I gotta admit, there's something special about it, or there was back then, you know. It's like, but I never intended to do that again. You know, I've really loved the doors it's opened for me. And more than anything, instead of thinking about how to do it again, I've enjoyed the success of that song has allowed me, has afforded me the opportunity to not have to try to do it again. You know, because yeah. so many people are living paycheck to paycheck. It's like if they don't do the right, if they don't do it right, they don't get another chance. So that locks creatively. It shuts. You know how that would shut you down creatively if you're like, if I get it wrong, I'm not gonna get to do it again. But for me, I, I have a lot of opportunity to do things wrong because every so often one of those songs pops out and uh, helps me afford to do to take risks on songs that may not be as um, financially successful so for me that's been my approach you know um, which is I don't know that that's very common Mm -hmm. but what's interesting is every so often we do have a song that pokes its head out like that and has this like runaway success I'm like I have no idea why or how that happens but see I guess that's the beauty of it because I don't know why or how I don't try and engineer those things because you are not your song and it's like a photograph. I take a picture of you right now, you're gonna look different next week, and four years you're gonna look different. So a song, a recorded song is like a photograph, and people tend to think of you as there, you know, and people with um, identity and affirmation issues, who is, everyone has identity and affirmation issues, so I guess it's everybody, but when we have those issues and we look at our work to represent ourselves, it, it, it shuts you down because your work will never fully express who you are yeah it's a photograph and so like i was talking for the other day it's like what do you think about he's he's kind of a famous preacher and you know i was talking about albums that I, of mine that i don't like anymore yeah. it's like what do you think about messages you did 10 years ago he's like oh man they're painful yeah. i was like but do you feel bad that they're out there he's like no he's like it's a photograph yeah it's like picture me in you know in middle school yeah. in the 90s i had the like swoopy haircut yeah. and yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah. like you don't hate that. That's just yeah. who you were back then. Yeah. So I think some people, though, get so caught up in their identity that they either, one, they feel like they have to do it again, mm-hmm. or two, they run the other way yeah. and become reactionary. And I've, I've done a little bit of each, yeah. but I've tried not to be reactionary. I've tried yeah. to own who I was, but also not be afraid to be who I am now. That's good, yeah. You know? And so I think, I think your successes don't have to define you. Yeah. Well, they don't define you. Yeah. Your failures don't define you either. Yeah. I think if you can live there, 
in that place where you're not defined by your successes or failures, you can be a pretty powerful person and you can be a pretty powerful artist. So I'm, I'm going out on the road with uh, Josh Garrels the Revelator Store. It starts February 16th in Asheville at the Orange Peel. Unfortunately, that show is already sold out. But then we're playing in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, Lynchburg, Virginia, Philadelphia, New York City, Boston, Cleveland, uh, Upland, Indiana, Milwaukee, Chicago, and uh, Holland, Michigan is the last stop on okay. that tour. So. There's still tickets available at almost every show. Nice. Um, so, you and know. you can find that at johnmarkmcmillan.com. Yep, at johnmarkmcmillan.com. Yeah. You can buy tickets there. Awesome. Yep. Also, um, I'm working on the new record right now. We hope yeah. to release it uh, August 4th. Yeah. Is our sort of unofficial release date. Yeah. Right now is August 4th. And um, right now you can, um, we're, we're doing this thing. I've never done this before. It's, it's, um, Pledge Music, where you can basically you kind of pre-order the record, and there's some exclusive packages and items that you can't get outside of Pledge. So you basically pre-order the record, and you get to follow along in the process of making the album. So I post videos almost every week, sometimes multiple times a week, yeah. um, and we offer you know special things like you know probably some demo stuff. And, you know, we like over Christmas we gave all the Pledge people a Christmas EP that we didn't offer anybody else. Nice. Um, and so you get a lot of exclusive stuff, but also you get to come along with the journey and um, I can share things yeah. that other people don't get to where can, experience. Can, where can people find out yep. about that? That's also at my website, johnmarkmcmillan.com. Yeah. So you can you know, join us on the journey. Yeah. Um, the journey to Mercury and Lightning. Is the yeah, so the name of that one's Mercury and Lightning. Mercury and Lightning, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I have to admit to you guys listening, I've heard some samples of it already. <laughs> I can't put any on the podcast yet. It's still in the oven, but uh, man, it is already becoming some of my favorite stuff that you've released. Yeah. I mean, everything you do is my favorite stuff, but this is new favorite stuff, and uh, yep. uh, I'm excited totally. about the musical risks and yep. direction changes and mm -hmm. uh, some of the Dude. things you let me hear. Yeah. So uh, definitely well, we, keep up with that. Oh man, well we we we've got a new single that's coming out um, probably in the next month or so called Enemy Love. Yeah, and um, but the the pledge people are gonna get it way before everyone else. Maybe awesome. even a month or two right. before everyone else. Pledge people will get the single. That's good. So um, be on the lookout for the the new single too. Yeah, so. awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks yeah, for man. sitting down with me. Dude, this is awesome. Yeah, I love doing this yeah, stuff. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. You can find this episode and others at makersandmystics.com, also on iTunes and Stitcher. I would love to hear from you, and I would also love to give you a discount on your registration to The Breath and the Clay. So if you email me at info at thebreathandtheclay.com and say, hey, I listened to the John Mark podcast, then I'll give you a code that will get 10% off of your registration to the conference. 
Again, those dates are March 17 through 19 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It's going to be an amazing time, and I hope to see you there. We'll see you next time. <laughs>